You can find inspiring stories almost anywhere. For instance, check out the co-founders of Girls Who Do Interiors. This Miami-based design company was started by three friends when they were still in school. And right from the start, they turned to Chase for Business for everything from banking and payment acceptance to credit cards. And they handle them all in one place with the Chase mobile app. It's so important to have that kind of help when you're just starting out. Learn more at chaseforbusiness.com. Make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Pushkin. Susie Orman. The myth, the legend, the woman... He's been around pretty much my entire life, popping up everywhere as a money guru. She was host of the Suzy Orman Show on CNBC for over a decade and was one of the most recurring guests on Oprah Winfrey's network shows, which I can't overstate how incredible that is. Suzy was everywhere and still is, from podcasts to magazines to mainstream cable news, giving people advice on what they should do with their money. That level of expertise in this field really intimidates me. I thought by talking to Susie Orman, I'd feel judged and small for my lack of financial know-how, which is really lacking and is really small. But it turns out that Susie Orman is not just whip smart. She's not judgmental at all. She's a super soulful person with a story that completely shocked me. And if I could wish anything for myself and anyone listening to the show, it's that we'd be less afraid to take big swings in life. And Susie, she certainly put fear aside several times to take a couple of gigantic swings. This is Starter from the Bottom, hard-earned success stories from people like us. To start our conversation, Susie tells me about her childhood in Chicago and eventually making her way to Berkeley, California. I grew up on the south side of Chicago. 
I grew up where my mother was a secretary, sold Avon on the side. My father was always sick. So I did not come from a family who, when you know I was born and whatever, had money. They had it before I was born, and then something legally happened that I still don't understand to this day. They lost everything. So by the time I came around, they had nothing, and my mother, early 50s, was working. No other mothers worked at that time. So I came from that kind of background. When I went to the University of Illinois, I had to pay for it myself. So I had to work every day at the um, Bubby's and Zadie's Deli during the day and at night at the Red Lion Inn. And I worked till one or two in the morning and all I cared about was surviving. Never got a grade above a C, I think the entire time I went to the university. And what was fascinating is that I really thought that my dream job was being a waitress. Mm. I loved it. So when I ended up as a waitress at the Buttercup Bakery and making $400 a month, I stayed a waitress from the age really of like 20, you know, 22 all the way to 29 or 30. Mm, Yeah. So the Buttercup Bakery in Berkeley, California, you're living there, you've dropped out of college, and you're waiting tables for what? About nine years, eight, nine years. Eight, nine years. So it never dawned on me that I would be able to make money, that I was supposed to be anything other than a waitress. That wasn't my ambition. My ambition was to just get by. I didn't even have credit cards then, right? Yeah, but, yeah. you know, it's like, right. you know, it's, I didn't have any money when, when something broke down, you know, I don't even know how I paid for it. So I had no ambition. It is very important to highlight because the Susie Orman we know today, <laughs> it seems very different from the, Susie, the, the, the early to late 20s Susie Orman who was content to be a waitress. And it really highlights that ambition discipline, and all of the other sort of uh, ingredients for success aren't necessarily things that you are have to be born with. These are things you can you can learn and develop. And, and I'm curious how you started to develop, how your ambition developed. Yeah. So what happened was, here it is, 1979. And the Buttercup Bakery, when I first started, it was on College um, and Alcatraz, College Avenue and Alcatraz, was this little tiny place that you couldn't even really sit down. You would come in, get a cup of coffee and whatever, and leave. Because of my ideas and the things, I said, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? Before you knew it, they owned half the block. And I'm sitting there going, oh, great, my ideas have caused these people to become very wealthy and I'm still making $400 a month. What's wrong with this equation? I thought, I know I can open up my own restaurant. So I mistakenly called up my mom and I asked her for $20,000. And the reason that I say mistakenly, Justin, is my mother didn't have $20,000 to their name. My father was now really, really ill at this time, and she felt so bad because she couldn't give it to me. And there isn't a mother in this world that doesn't want to help their daughters in particular. And so I went to work the next morning, and a man by the name of Fred Hasbrick, who I'd been waiting on for all seven years, came in and he said, what's wrong, sunshine? You don't look happy. I told him the story. 
He went back and sat with all the other gentlemen that I've been waiting on for all of these years. They were like my family. This was their stop before they went on to their jobs, and none of them were wealthy. Fred was a salesman who sold little tiny tape recorders. And so before he left, he came up to the counter, and on the counter, he put all this papers and checks, and they were commitments and, and actual checks totaling $50,000 dollars. Mm. With a little note on a napkin that said, this is for people like you to be paid back in 10 years with no interest if you can. I didn't know what to do with that kind of money. I said to him, are these gonna checks going to bounce like all mine do? And he said, <laughs> no, Susie. He said, go down to the local Merrill Lynch office, open up a money market account, and we'll help you from there. Problem was, and I said to him, I don't know what Merrill Lynch is, and I don't know what a money market account was. He told me, for those of you who may not know, Merrill Lynch is a brokerage firm where people go and they buy and sell stocks. They have financial advisors, very reputable, truthfully. And a money market account is what was coming along what, that were replacing savings accounts. So I was to put that money in a money market account until they could help me. I walked into Merrill Lynch. I was met by Randy, who was the broker of the day. He met all the new people that came in. He had me sign paperwork of blank papers. I didn't even know what I was signing. And he said, how would you like to make a quick $100 a week? And I said, of course. I left. And what I didn't know is that Randy filled out that paperwork to make it look like I was a very sophisticated investor with a lot of money and I could speculate and started to invest all $50,000 in what's called the options market. The most speculative thing you can do with money, buying options because 90% of all people who do so lose money. Within three months, all $50,000 was lost. Now I didn't know what was I going to do. I needed to pay back these people, even though they, you know, told me I didn't have to. And so I thought, I know I can be a broker. They just make you broker. Got <laughs> dressed in my red and white striped Sansoon pants, tucked into my white cowboy boots with a blue silk shirt, the fanciest outfit I had. I was a sly, size six back then. That's the only thing that I wish I could go back to, but that is besides the point. And I went into Merrill Lynch, and before I knew it, I was in the manager's office. His name is Peterson Sansevero. And he literally said to me, you know, that in his opinion, women belong barefoot and pregnant, oh my God. but he would hire me. But in six months, he would fire me. And obviously, he was hiring me to fill their women's quota because it was affirmative action. Being the Susie Orman that I am today, that I was still back then on some level, I said to him, how much are you going to pay to make me pregnant? And he said, $1,500 a month. So it didn't take me long to figure out 1500 a month times six was $9,000. That's two and a half years at the Buttercup Bakery almost. Wow. Right? To, to make that kind of money. So I but, said, but fine. Susie, how, how, yes. what, what, what qualifications did you have at that point to work there? None. You're, you're so, None. So you literally imagined that you were given the job simply to fill the quota. You got that right, boyfriend. The level then for you to get to, to put on a suit 
and walk into Merrill Lynch <laughs> with no background in this. I, that's the amazing part. It's, it's almost not even that you got the job. It's that you had the audacity to walk in there. And I, I don't, how did you think that was going to go? Well, I didn't care so much. All I, I didn't care about me. I cared about the people that gave me this money hmm. more than myself. Because Fred, he couldn't afford to lose $2,000. And they all had faith in me. Yeah. And because of them, not my audacity, my desire to honor hmm. them, I knew I had to do something. And hmm. that wasn't going to be a waitress for the rest of my life to pay fifty thousand dollars back more Susie orman after this quick break small business owners this one's for you chase for business and iheart bring you a new podcast series called the unshakables this one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Those three months that Randy was trading options, I started to read what he was doing and watching Wall Street Week on PBS and reading Barron's and going, 
oh, I get this. I understand this. He's going to lose all my money. Uh. So in some level, by the time those three months passed, Justin, I knew more than I ever thought I would know. Mm. And when they hired me, he told me he was going to fire me. So I didn't really care about that either. But I liked reading about it and studying to take what they called the Series 7 exam, which you have to take if you're going to become a stockbroker, which is a seriously hard exam to take. The first time I took it, I flunked it. And I was in New York. They send you to New York. I was scared to death to go there, right? But they send you there. And after I flunked it, like I think six people out of hundreds flunked it. I was one of them. And then you have one week to study and try to pass it again the second time I passed it. But I'm telling you all this because you have to know I wasn't a brainchild. And so it was hard work and determination that that it was like, all right, this is a test from God to see if I really want this. And I wanted it to pay back other people. So I then passed the exam. Now I'm a stockbroker. Now I'm scared to death because I don't belong with these 105 men, not one other women, woman yeah. in the whole place. Yeah. I'm still driving a 67 Volvo. They're driving 1980 Mercedes and BMWs. That's when I learned that I needed to create a new truth because I was afraid. I didn't, you know, I didn't belong there. I didn't come from their world. Yeah. So I decided to create a truth that when I would be shivering going to work, I could say to hopefully calm me down. And the new truth went like this. I am young, powerful, and successful, producing at least $10,000 a month. I wasn't so young. I was 30 now, right? powerful. I was the most powerless thing you ever could have imagined, right? So I was young, powerful, no, successful. I don't think so. Hmm. Nothing about it. Producing at least $10,000 a month because I decided if God wanted to give me more than $10,000 a month, because I knew he had to do it for me because I wasn't going to be able to do it, Hmm. right? That that why limit myself to $10,000? For six months, After I had passed my Series 7 and became a broker, I wrote it 25 times a day. I screamed it in the card out loud 25 times going to work. And at night before I went to bed, I looked in the mirror, looking back at myself, and I said it silently. Six months later, all those truths that I said came true. You were hired to be fired, <laughs> but yes. within the six months that you you felt like you're you're you were on the line, you the firing line, you turned out to be a great stockbroker. Yes, but while I was working for Merrill Lynch, there I, I myself am gay and have been my entire life, and the head of operations was also a gay man, and we. We're the only two in this gigantic office that had this in common. So, of course, we gravitated to each other. And I did not hide it from anybody that I was gay. I never have. And so he said to me one day, Susie, what happened to you here at Merrill Lynch wasn't quite legal. And all the lawsuits went through this man. 
And he said, you know, you might want to go into my office after I leave today. I've told my secretary you might do so. Look at the drawer, bottom drawer to your left, and you figure out why I want you to do that. That's all I can tell you. I go in his office that day, say hi to his secretary, sit down, open the drawer, and there's all these manila file folders that say on them, lose, 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 win, 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 win. And I start looking at them, and the ones that say win are lawsuits that are being brought against Merrill Lynch, most of them by this one attorney. I call this attorney, and I'm so sorry, I can't even remember his name to this day, told him my story. He says to me, I'll take this case on contingency. I said, well, what the hell is that? (laughs) And he said, it's where it's not going to cost you anything if we lose. If we win, I get 30% of whatever the settlement is. So I said, great. We sue Merrill Lynch while we're working working while while I'm working them. (laughs) Because, Justin, I knew it would be easy for me to say nothing and just sit there. But it would not have been right. Hmm. What if it was my mom and all her money she put in there and she got a crooked broker? So I decided... No, this wasn't right, and I needed to do something about it. And again, I felt like it was a sign that the operations manager was telling me this. So because I sued Merrill Lynch, they could not fire me. Who knew? Two years later, when the suit came to court, a new manager came in, and he looked at everything, and he said, Susie, this is ridiculous. We're, we're, set, we're going to settle this with you. And they gave me enough money to pay back all the people that lent me money plus 18% interest. And so I was able to do that. And the rest is kind of history. Now, the original reason you were, were, were um, lent the 50000 was was to open up a restaurant of, of your own. By yes. that point, was that still a desire of yours? No, because I loved what I was learning. I loved that every Tuesday there would be a sales meeting at one o'clock. In, in California, the market closed at one. And I would be there and they would be, you know, they would be telling you what they wanted you to buy and sell. And I was understanding it. Right. So I was always honest with what I knew and what I didn't know. And because I knew I didn't know, I was open to learning from people who really did know. And over time, I started to be one of those people. The way you are describing yourself is the antithesis of the way we imagine powerful, wealthy folks to we, we we don't expect powerful multi folks to admit when they don't know something is that solid advice to not admit when you don't know something and just to continue no, to learn no it's I mean, solid advice okay. cuz you know why when you stand in your truth everybody can feel it when you tell a lie they can feel that as well but mm. they don't want to believe that you're lying but they know something isn't quite right What makes you truly powerful in life is that every word that comes out of your mouth is the truth. 
because there is a law of money that I realized years ago, which is power attracts money and powerlessness repels it. It's people that hire you. It's people that give you a pay raise. So people are attracted to power. They can feel it in you. What renders you the most powerful is when you stand in your truth. What renders you the most powerless are two things. Number one, when you stand in a lie, when what you tell people is a lie, and also another form of a lie when it comes to money is debt. When you have debt, I'm not talking about car loan debt, mortgage debt, or student loan debt. When you have credit card debt, you are standing in a lie because you are spending money you don't even have to impress people in most cases that you don't even know or like. Now, obviously, there are exceptions to that rule because of medical expenses and things like that, but the majority of debt that people have on their credit cards, going out to eat, buying clothes, going on vacations, doing all kinds of things like that. And that is a lie because you don't have the money to pay for it. So debt is bondage. Debt is a lie in most cases. So the most, the thing that renders you the most powerful is standing in your truth. Where did Susie Orman get all that courage from? She talks about it when we come back. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC, copyright 2024. J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. 
Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. I loved that I was a lesbian, and it was not easy to be a lesbian in the 60s. Yeah. Imagine going to high school, you know, from like, you know, 64 to 69 or what, 65 to 69. And also in grammar school when I already knew that I was a lesbian. And, you know, there weren't gay rights rights back then. You know, none of this really happened. It happened, started to happen in 1969, really. Yeah. Yeah. But I always told everybody I was gay. Where did you get that courage from? I got that courage because I didn't know better, I think. You know, it, it wasn't like at first, obviously, when I first started to realize it, that I went around telling everybody. But when I went to college, I went to a gay liberation meeting there because I knew it. And I realized that gay men were very different than lesbians. And that's when I decided I have to do something about this. We need to break off from gay men. And so with my friends, I started the Gay Women's House in Champaign, Illinois. And the University of Illinois arranged all these talks for me. And I would go to Paxton, Illinois, and all these places that were so behind the times and talk about it. And nobody ever rejected me or treated me poorly. And then at Merrill Lynch, when I told everybody I was gay, right, they didn't care. I mean, when somebody had a birthday, they would have these women strippers come in. And they thought I would enjoy that. Oh, no. You know? Oh, no. And I was just oh, like, no. whatever. But you know, Justin, even when I got my first big contract for my book mm-hmm. that I got, not the, you know, my first book was You've Earned It, Don't Lose It. The second book is what gave me a, you know, big contract. It was $800,000. And I thought, wow. who's going to pay me $800,000 to somebody who doesn't even know how to write? So I went into Chip Gibson, who was president of Crown Publishing at the time. And I said, Chip, I can't take this kind of money without you knowing two things about me. Number one, I don't know how to write. And he said, oh, great, finally a writer who knows that they don't know how to write. And number two, I'm a lesbian. And he said, well, tell me something I don't know. (laughs) Why did you tell him that? (laughs) Because if I was on interviews and asked if I was gay, 
I was going to t- I wasn't wow. going to lie. It, it, it seems like so many of the ingredients for your success were there early from from your standing in your truth, like knowing who you were, not being afraid of who you were, not being afraid to acknowledge what you don't know. And, and there certainly must have been some underlying level of ambition, even if it was dormant. Why do you think? Why, why do you think it took until 30, which is still relatively young, but, but, but rather than 20, why do you think it took until 30 for, for these sorts of ingredients to start coming together to create a level of financial success? Well, I, because I loved my life as a waitress. The person that I admired the most in life was a woman by the name of Helen. Helen had red hair and a beehive on top of her head and smoked a cigarette, was probably 65 or 70 and had worked her entire life at the Buttercup restaurant, you know, the Buttercup Bakery. And I loved her and I wanted to be like her. She was my role model because she was happy and she was excited to go home to her kids or her grandkids or whatever. And I didn't look at it like I wanted money. I looked at it like I love what I do. Helen loves what she does. And look how happy she is. So I didn't, that was my truth. Yeah, yeah. I didn't didn't have anybody to inspire me to want to be more than that. Yeah. You start your, uh, you start your group in 1987. Yes. Susie Orman's financial group. Tell, Tell me about why you started that. I started it because after Merrill Lynch, I then was hired by Prudential Base Securities as a vice president of investments for them. They paid me a lot of money to do so. And I became known as the nation's expert while I worked there in an investment called single premium whole life, very different than the whole life insurance that most financial advisors sell today or insurance agents sell today. And Prudential Beige did not like that I was putting people in single premium whole life policies that they themselves did not sell. Hmm. They wanted me to sell maybe the Prudential one, but at the time I liked Equitables or I forget which one. And so I needed to start my own firm so that I could do what was right for people and put them in the best policy possible. And, you know, um, so that's what I did. So I started my own firm in 1987. So I then decided people would pay me what they thought my services were worth. That is how I charged them. And that's kind of how that firm started. If you are in the financial industry and you put money in front of people, you're in big trouble. That's why for the 13 years that I did the Susie Orman show on CNBC, I ended every show with, there's only one thing that I want you to remember when it comes to your money, and that's people first, then money, then things. All right, so if you always put people first, If you always put their needs in front of your needs, you will always be a financial advisor that other people want to work with, Hmm. especially if you do the right things with their money. And so to this day, I still do that. Susie, you're, you're, you're 71. 
and a half yes. now. You're doing the half earlier, yes. so I'm going to throw in the half. 71 and a half I now. always celebrate my half birthday, just <laughs> I so love you know. it. I love it. Mm-hmm. You're 71 and a half. The world is quite different from 1980. Yeah. What advice would you give young women now? Uh, taking two things into consideration, what advice would you give young women that you would say worked for you in 1980? And what advice would you give, what advice do you think has to be modified in 2022? Or or is there, or is there, if there is such a thing? Yeah, I don't think there is such a thing of modifying anything. Because the truth is everlasting, Justin. What's true is true. Truth doesn't really change. So, What I would tell a 22-year-old, no matter how you identify yourself, is there is no excuse big enough to keep you from being who you are meant to be. When you are in a situation, you know what's true and you know what's not. You know if you're in a relationship and it's not good for you, you know what's true and what you need to do about it. You know, if you are pulling out your credit card to buy something that you can only pay the minimum payment due when that bill comes in, you know that is a lie. You know, it's the truth when you have an eight to 12 month emergency fund. And when you put something on your credit card, you can pay it off in full at the end of the month. Susie, you're you're a real inspiration. Um, you're a real soulful human being, <laughs> and you've done incredible work. Uh, and I, I, I thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you so much, Susie. Anytime. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. The great Susie Orman. She completely eliminated any imposter syndrome I had with that Merrill Lynch story. It's the most gangster thing I've ever heard on the show. I think taking that level of confidence with you in your day-to-day life is going to make stretching out of your comfort zone so much easier. Started from the Bottom is produced by David Ja, edited by Keisha Williams, engineered by Ben Tolliday, booked by Laura Morgan, with production help from Leah Rose. The show's executive produced by Jacob Goldstein, who's not all up in the videos for Pushkin Industries. Our theme music's by Ben Tolliday and David Ja, featuring Anthony Aggs and Savannah Joe Lack. Listen to Start Up From The Bottom wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want ad-free episodes available one week early, sign up for Pushkin Plus. Check out pushkin.fm or the Apple Show page for more information. If you like our show, please remember to share, rate, and review us on your podcast app. I'm Justin Richmond. <laughs>